A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin and well, yes, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics in an informed way. Today, we're talking about what it's like to be an MP and be an outsider in an area that has traditionally always voted the other way. Our guest is the MP for Don Valley, Nick Fletcher, the first Conservative to ever hold the seat, which had been Labour since 1922 until the election of December 2019. We'll also be asking him why he returned to Christianity as an adult after falling away as a teenager. Before we speak about all that, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, for many people in England this week, it's been the first opportunity to go to the pub or sit outside a coffee shop as the rules are relaxing. Of course, this comes together in a nicely succinct political story of Sir Keir Starmer getting kicked out of a pub in Bath by a landlord who was rather irate that Labour had supported the lockdown, with him saying that it had ruined the economy. But politicians might want to start checking the politics of all the landlords they visit, whether in Llandudno or in Fife, because similar easings on hospitality are expected to take place in Wales and Scotland on the 26th of April. In other news, this week a BBC Panorama programme on the Church of England was aired, which revealed how non-white clergy were asked to keep silent about their complaints of racism. Stephen Cottrell, the Archbishop of York, responded saying, The stories we've heard are shocking and there is no doubt that the church has failed our UK minority ethnic brothers and sisters. A report is being released this Thursday with recommendations about how to make the church fairer and more diverse. But of course, change is not what many people want when it comes to the big story of the week, which is the European Super League. Tim, I'm sorry to say I don't think Blackburn Rovers are going to make it, but I'm, I'm sure that doesn't cloud your judgment. So how should Christians think about this story? Well, obviously, that's a terrible omission because of the big six includes uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Blackburn Rovers, have, of course, won the Premier League more times than Tottenham Hotspur. So it's probably an oversight that we weren't invited. Uh, yesterday, I spoke in the House of Commons about football because this is a week where sport has moved from the back page of the paper to, well, well and truly being on the front page. The plans for a European Super League in football have caused huge controversy. But does it really matter? Should it matter to Christians? Well, football has a long association with Christianity in this country. English clubs such as Manchester City, Everton, Fulham and Southampton were all founded by churches, bringing communities together socially as well as physically. Today, football combines competition and community. The hooliganism that blighted the game in the 70s and 80s has largely been stamped out. It's a much more family-oriented affair today, and it's a sport that, more than at any other time, transcends politics and class. So why all the fuss about the European Super League? Well, the proposal is that six English clubs will break away to set up their own league alongside other European elite teams. None of these teams will ever face relegation from the new league and other teams will only be invited to join temporarily if they've won their own domestic league. So this is a closed shop. You only get to be in the league if you have the money to buy your way in in the first place and you can never be relegated. The point of the league is to garner huge amounts of TV and sponsorship cash for the dozen or so clubs that will belong to it. There is, of course, only so much money to go around. So this will be at the expense of domestic leagues, including the lower leagues and non-league clubs. It is literally robbing the poor to help the rich. 
These big clubs have lost billions between them during COVID, whilst they continue to pay each of their star players more per week than the average fan will earn in a decade. Put bluntly, these clubs are both wealthy and desperate. Some will say that football is a business, that there's always been money involved, but this is quite different. In one sweep, it undermines the community and supporter aspect of the game and puts it in entirely on a commercial money-making level. It's the elite few ruining the people's game without a thought for the fans and entirely for money. In my humble view, it utterly stinks. But why should Christians care? You may not think this is an area where you need to hold an opinion unless you are a big football fan or that it's just too trivial for Christians to muster a view about. But the Super League exposes issues of corruption, concentration of power, community cohesion, aspiration and character building for young people right down to the level of the local non-league or school club. It's about fun and taking pleasure in simple things. The Bible tells us to seek the welfare of the place where we live. Football captures our imaginations, defines us, unites us, levels us and dramatically affects our morale and our mood. It clearly contributes to our national welfare. So given the importance of football at all levels to our life as a country, we should surely want to see godly values expressed in how the game is run. To do damage to a game loved by millions in order to generate millions for a few sounds unequivocally wrong to me and we should say so. One of the Bible verses that moves me the most is well, Luke 12, verse 7, or Matthew 10, 30, take your pick. Even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I love this because it speaks of a God who knows and loves me intimately, forensically, and cares for every aspect of my existence, not just the big life and death stuff, but other apparently more trivial things that nevertheless capture my imagination, including football. So if people care about what's happening to football, then you can be sure that God cares too. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. This week on the show, our guest is Nick Fletcher, the Conservative MP for Don Valley. In fact, the first Tory MP to hold the seat after nearly 100 years of Labour MPs. We'll be talking about what it's like to be the MP for an area that has made a big political shift. But before that, I want to get to know a bit more about Nick's journey to Christian faith. Nick, it's fantastic to have you with us. Good morning. Good morning. Well, Nick, just begin us, if you don't mind, or help us to start our conversation by telling us a little bit about your early life. You were brought up going to church. Um, what was that like? What kind of a church were you brought up attending? Uh, I was brought up attending a Methodist church in, in Armthorpe, which is uh, uh, not too far from my constituency. It's in Doncaster still. I believe uh, uh, my parents sent me there, really. Um, my mum um, took me there really to, um, as my grandma had asked her, asked her to take uh, take us all to, to church when we were when we were younger. So she did that. Um, she did that for that reason, really. And how was church for you? I mean, you you went from an early age. You were going to church until your teenage years. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. When I was younger, it was it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And then I think as, um, a, a lot of young people, uh, it. it, it um, it wasn't really a place that I wanted to associate myself with in my in my early teens, especially with uh, speaking with friends at school. And so it, I did um, I did move away from the church as I uh, as I as I finished school and, and started working. Really, and that's quite 
I'm afraid it's a, it's a usual thing, isn't it, for lots of people's experience that um, young people get to their their teens, early 20s and, and drift away or even make a particular choice to do that. Was it a was it a drifting away for you? Or was there a particular decision that, no, nope, that's it for me. I don't go to church anymore. Yeah, I think it was a particular decision. That's not, uh, this is not where I want to be uh, anymore. <clears throat> I mean, I regret the decision, actually. I'd always had actually stayed within uh, within the church environment. I think it, it would have uh, it would have helped me quite a lot over the years. But um, but now, I mean, I think we all go through these phases in his in his lives, and I think when you when you're younger. I don't think church really is uh, what a lot of people, especially the church that I went to, it was uh, it was definitely a church that was um, attended by um, quite a few older people, and it wasn't it wasn't where I really wanted to be as a, as a sixteen year old young man. Well, I mean, you're you're talking to somebody who lapsed the best part of a decade, so there's there's no judgment coming from here, brother. Um, <laughs> but when you when you were away from the church, so through your 20s and early 30s. Mm-hmm. What was your view of Christianity once you'd kind of left the church, so to speak? I still believed. Uh, I, I mean, I think I've always believed. But I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a born-again Christian. Um, I believed in, I believed in uh, God and I respected the church, but it's not just where I wanted to um, associate myself with. I was also very busy as well. I was um, set up my own business when I was 21, um, and I worked most weekends as well. Uh, I mean, that's probably a poor excuse, really, uh, but it is true. I just did, it did work. I never thought about going back to church, really, until until I had children myself. So that's that's basically how, uh, how, it, uh, how it ended, as it were. So you going back to church was very much a thing that was about you wanting for your children what your parents and grandparents had wanted for you, which was to, to go to church. You saw it as a good thing. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much the cycle started over again. I wanted to send my kids to, uh, to church so um, I, could please my, I could please my parents, which was their grandparents. So it was the cycle. It was literally the same cycle over again. So, uh, And as I started taking my kids to church, I, I started getting in, involved myself, which is, um, uh, which is why I became a, a, a Christian later on. So how old were your children by the time you began to think that maybe there was more to this than you'd previously thought? Yeah, I think uh, they were probably around about eight, nine, ten, somewhere around that. And I was still taking them to the to the local church, but there wasn't an awful lot there for them. And I actually Googled lively churches in Doncaster <laughs> and uh, it came up with uh, International City Church Doncaster, which is now Legacy Church Doncaster. Um, no, it didn't actually. I actually no, it came up Hope City Church, which was one in Sheffield. That right. was right. So I went to Hope City Church in Sheffield first. Uh, and I don't know if they didn't like me, but they said to me after I've been going for about two or three months, there is a there is a church in Doncaster that's a lot closer than this one. Maybe you want to go there. <laughs> so uh, I took the hint and um <clears throat> I went. I went to. Uh, I went to International City Church Doncaster, as it was called then, and it's now Legacy Church Doncaster. And I've been there for about ten years, and there about seventy, eighty, ninety young people turn up there every week. My kids loved it, and uh, that's when I decided to uh, to make my decision um, and become a uh, become a born again Christian. Now, your decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ to be born again was 
not just because you went to a lively church, was it? It was because you heard a message that maybe surprised you about um, whether or not you deserve to be there. Is that right? Yeah, I think one of the things that one of the reasons why I left church maybe many years ago when I was a younger person is I never thought I was actually good enough. Uh, and, and I don't it wasn't that necessarily not good enough. It's just that I never wanted to let the church down. I, I think that we uh, I think it's really important that we, we all understand we have a massive influence on people through whatever we do, uh, even more so now as a, as a member of parliament. But I never wanted to let. Um, I never wanted to let the church down, and so I, I never actually thought that I was I was good enough. And it wasn't until I, I heard a, a sermon at Legacy Church, and they talked about um, talked about no masks and no gasps, and that we were that we were all sinners, and uh, that's that. It doesn't matter. Um, Jesus is there for, for all of us, and grace is a wonderful thing, and. and Although we can, we can wipe the slate clean. Uh, when we make our commitment to um, to Christ, then basically we wipe we wipe the slate clean, and we're covered by His grace, which is which is a wonderful thing to hear. Mm. And it's it's open it's open to everybody. That's the wonderful thing about it. It's literally open to everybody. I think that is the mo- the amazing thing. I think to be to be struck by grace and to feel it is such an enormous blessing. I remember going through a. Not, not the best time in my life, shall we say. And I've uh, uh, been on the phone to my pastor a few years ago and he said to me, Tim, the thing about uh, sin for the Christian is that um, sin spoils our relationship with God, but it doesn't end it. Mm-hmm. And that's a remarkable thing to be reminded of, just as, as you were struck by, that if our salvation is in the hands of the almighty God, we're totally secure. If it was up to us, if we had to earn it, if we had mm-hmm. to be good enough, we'd mess it up, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. And we'd never have that sense of security. So, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I think um, Grace is, as the song goes, utterly, utterly amazing. Well, we're talking with Nick Fletcher, the MP for Don Valley. Well, Nick, um, so having become a Christian and um, being part of this lively church with you and your family, you're busy with work, and yet a decision came upon you in 2017 that you were going to join the Conservative Party. Tell me how that happened. Yes, it's something that I'd um, been interested in doing for quite a long time. I'd followed politics uh, relatively closely. um, I've said often that I've watched Question Time and and fell out with Question Time quite a few times with the uh, different answers that different politicians have have given. Uh, And so I... um, I thought I'm gonna have to have to go at this. There's something inside me that says I need to, I need to, um, I need to get involved with this because if we actually want to make a difference, we've actually got to get involved, and that's what I tell an awful lot of people. If you actually want to make a difference, you must get involved. And so I wanted to wait. I've been running a business, which was obviously takes an awful lot of my time up as well, and I, I don't want to spend as much time with my family as I could too. So I don't think I could do both. But as soon as my family got to an age where they were leaving school. I decided that's when I uh, that's when I should start um, getting involved with the Conservative Party. So I joined the Conservative Party, uh, and I went down to the first uh, my first meeting, and uh, I introduced myself and told them that I'd like to become an MP. And that was back in two thousand and seventeen, uh, and it, it moved on very very quickly from there. Within 
think within six months, 12 months, I was chairman of the association. 18 months after that, I was the candidate for, for Don Valley. And the rest of the say is history. Indeed it is. And, and for, for you, when you were selected, so you were selected what, about a year out from the general election in 2019 or a bit less? No, no, I was selected about five weeks out. <laughs> uh, that was the end of November. I got um, the middle of November. I got the call. I mean, I, I, I'd let people know that it was something that I um, that I wanted to do within the association. And I'd been through uh, the Parliamentary Assessment Bureau, which is a basically a day's exam for the Conservative Party where they put you through different scenarios and I'd, and I'd passed that. Uh, and then I got a phone call one evening um, saying, right, if you, if you would like to stand for Don Valenick, then we'd, uh, then we'd love to have you. And that was, that was it. So uh, I went out there and I started campaigning. <laughs> now, tell me about the moment that you won, because obviously whilst we may have seen there was movement happening across the country and it was clearly a really fluid election where something dramatic and historic was going to happen in lots of seats nevertheless a seat that's been Labour for the best part of a century when it goes conservative that's a very very big moment what what was it like and what was it like at the count when the penny dropped that you were about to become the MP? It was very overwhelming to say the least <laughs> I uh, I mean it's what I wanted and I think all the timings were right but never that and I knew I could tell when I was campaigning walking around the streets and meeting people and speaking to people. And it was a real good, positive atmosphere. I was welcomed in an awful lot of places that had really been nothing but Labour, like you say, for over 100 years. And as I walk into those places with the Blue Rosette on, I really was welcomed with, um, with open arms, as it were. So I knew, uh, I knew it was probably coming, but um, I never take anything for granted. Uh, you, you never do, and but um, yeah, uh, on the night it was uh, it was quite quite surreal to say to say the least. And I think it took me quite a few months to actually for it to actually sink in to be uh, to be true. But I remember being uh, interviewed for a, for a newspaper uh, probably about three months after after being elected, and and the journalist had wrote on that um, he still looks a little shell shocked from this. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. It's. Um, but now it's it's obviously been a tough time as well with coronavirus. But uh, I'm definitely definitely getting there, and uh, I'm beginning to enjoy the job now. Now, when you made your maiden speech, your first official speech in the House of Commons, I remember that you you very much referenced your Christian faith and spoke about your election as a as a miracle. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, I think it. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm surrounded by a lot of people in Parliament who've had. Uh, Lots and lots of different, uh, lots and different careers to me, and and many have come from um, quite different backgrounds to myself. Um, so I don't believe someone from Armthorpe Comprehensive School to make it into uh, into Parliament, into the Chamber, is uh, is nothing short of a miracle, really. So uh, I'm very pleased to be there. I'm very honoured to be there. I will do everything that I can to help the people of Doncaster. But I definitely think I've been there for a, for a purpose yeah I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that and Hannah, how does it feel for you living as a Christian in a community that has politically changed its mind so dramatically uh, serving that community particularly if some of the people who you serve are also Christians but perhaps take a different view politically to you how, how's that been 
Yeah, it can be. Uh, I mean, I think politics is quite divisive. It, um, it does it does set you up against people. I mean, even the way the chamber's laid out, it's mm. you're set up against each other. It is difficult, but I think you always have to remember. Um, I think I think you always have to try and remember. I'm a Christian first, uh, and and then I'm a member of Parliament. And I think if we can remember that, then I think we stand a chance. And that doesn't mean that you have to be weak. I think it's meek, not weak, is the is the phrase. You have to be strong, but we have to be um, we have to be fair, and we have to follow as as convictions. I think that's I think that's really really important. And um, in all fairness, I mean I've not heard the fact that I'm a Christian. I've told everybody that I'm a Christian, and uh, it's it's not it's not been a problem. In fact, in all fairness, as you'd expect me to say, it's helped me out immensely being a Christian. I would um, I would recommend it to everybody. Nick, that is really encouraging to hear, and it's a good place for us to uh, draw our conversation to a conclusion. Um, you're a massive blessing to us, and, and indeed, uh, it may well be a miracle that either of us are in, are in Parliament. Of course, the greatest miracle of all is that um, amazing grace that you which you spoke about earlier on. So, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. We'll see you soon. A mucky business with Tim Farron. Well, this is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political or even personal. Well, this week we've got a question from Mark. Do you believe it is possible for a Christian in the UK to hold the view that we should take control of our borders and prevent refugees and immigrants entering our country? Well, thanks very much, Mark. I mean, I think it's perfectly possible to believe that there should be immigration rules and we should have control of our of our borders but at the same time, believe that we should be welcoming to people who are refugees. As things stand, there's often that phrase that gets used, you know, illegal asylum seekers. There's no really such thing, because if a person presents claiming and seeking asylum, we are, by convention, obliged to take them. And so we should at face value. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a system that we should uh, go through to assess whether someone's claim is legitimate. But in the same way as we believe that someone is innocent and less proved guilty, we should think the same as somebody of somebody who presents themselves as a refugee. And it should always be, I, I guess, down to the golden rule, shouldn't it? We should want to do to others what we would have them do to us if the circumstances were changed. Let's imagine that the United Kingdom was a, a terrible, dangerous basket case of a country and that Eritrea was a peaceful, harmonious place. And we were headed desperately, grabbing our children and what little belongings we could muster to escape the horror of the United Kingdom to get to the safety of Eritrea. How would we want to be treated once we got to Eritrea? And I think that should tell us how we should treat those who present themselves as refugees here. Have you got a question you would like me to answer? Well, you can do the same as Mark and write it in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of this week's show, let's all uh, bow our heads in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the things that unite us as a country and the things which provide colour to this life. Uh, we thank you for football, which is uh, loved by millions, including me, um, and may pass millions of others by. But we recognise how important it is to the life of so many families and so many communities. Um, and we ask for wisdom and we ask for justice. We ask for decisions to be made by the people who control the game that are wise and which are godly and which take into account the fact that whilst fans might not technically own their clubs, in every emotional sense they really do, 
And we pray, though, for uh, decisions that will put the people first and indeed put your kingdom first as we seek to live out values which are uh, worthy of you, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for Nick Fletcher and for his uh, humble witness to you. And we thank you for that message of grace that really uh, struck him perhaps about 10 years ago. Lord, we, we pray for millions more people to understand that it's not a question of striving to be good enough to be a Christian. Uh, it's about accepting your work, your complete and full and final and finished work on the cross, knowing that you have done the work and all that is left for us to do is to humbly accept it. And we pray that that message of grace will be one that people hear about Christianity. In all the uh, news that is out there about the church, um, that uh, justifiably often uh, draws the church to uh, under criticism. Let the message actually resound amongst all the people of this country and beyond that Christianity's message is a really simple one. It is that of a saviour who died for all of our sins and in whom we are called to place our trust. Um, and it, it really is as simple as that. So we thank you that you make the gospel awesome and simple at the same time. We pray for millions to accept it afresh in these coming months. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, next week, we'll be speaking to Dr. Lisa Cameron, who is the SNP MP for East Kilbride, Stratton and Les Mahargo. Uh, until then, it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks very much for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.